Good morning, church. So Matt asked me a couple months ago to come and uh, give the message today. Uh, he shared with me, he said, you know, you shared with the elders some of the things that God's doing in your life, and, and he thought that would be good for me to share that with you as well. I'm humbled by that, and I think if uh, God can use me, speak through me to, to teach something, that's great. Now, take that and fast forward. Later in that week, I'm sitting in my living room with my bride, Susan. Taught, we we're syncing our calendars, and uh, we both have trips this month, and we're trying to make sure we got their schedule down, and also trying to find a weekend to get away together. And I said, oh, July 7th, they, they've asked me to speak on Sunday, um, so we need to be in town for that. Now, I was looking down when I said that, so she caught me off guard, and I hear, loser! And I said, what do you mean by that? And she goes, she, her eyes meet mine, and she starts laughing, and she goes, Charlie, you don't get it. Of all the weekends during the year, the first weekend in July is the biggest for vacations. Not only is it Independence Day, but it's the one week during the year where traditional and year-round schools have off. Charlie, they don't expect anybody to come that day. <laughs> and the people who do aren't going to be paying attention. So they figure even if they let you speak and, and you screw something up, the damage will be minimal. Congratulations, you got the loser weekend. So it's with that charge that I welcome you to Northwest Community Church. My name is Charlie Rogers. I'm an elder here. I, I'm starting a four, I'm one person, we're going to have four people speak over the next four weeks on the topic of words to live by. And the, the, this is based on a scripture or a verse that's important to us. So we trust and we're praying that since it's coming from us and our hearts, that it'll be encouraging and, and hopefully challenging to you as well. You know, as I look back on the, on the last several years of my life, actually our family's life, I, I'd summarize it as unexpected, challenging, often very challenging events, seemingly unrelated, that have additive effect to me and our family. You know, in the, in the last three years alone, I've had job changes, job challenges, several weird and painful health issues. I had a couple procedures. Susan's had some health issues and a, a surgery. I've sat with a, a new and dear friend in the last year of his life. My family, my kids have gone through some issues. Our life group, which is like family, we've had people that have had some issues there. And then everything sort of pales into comparison to we lost Hunter Kulak. I can't articulate that. The pain, much less the pain that Keen, Cynthia, Drew, and Parker had. So the last three, I could go on the last 30 years, have been challenging. But the last three years have been tough. And don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't mean to be whining about it. But I wasn't expecting it. I realize now I had a naive look of the Christian walk even having walked with God for so long, there's sort of that expectation that if I'm walking with God, challenges will flush away. And that's not true. Now, I, I should qualify that in that it's unexpected. I'm sort of your typical male that uh, 
I don't expect things, right? I'm surprised by things that I shouldn't be surprised by. One, one thing that comes to mind is when we first got married, we finally got into on-post housing at Fort Rucker, Alabama. I was going to flight school. And we get moved in, and I'm thinking, all right, we're in. And we have housing on post. doesn't cost us anything. That's a good thing. Uh, you know, we get done settling uh, as much as you can in the first day. And Susan says, now we need window treatments. I, I stood stunned. I'm thinking in my head, in my silence, what, is, what are window treatments? Does she mean, do, does she want me to wash the windows? I, I don't understand. I, and I said, what do you mean? And that's when I learned about drapes and curtains and blinds. So I can miss some things. And much like missing window treatments and not expecting that, these events in our lives, I didn't see them coming, didn't expect them, and the additive effect of that made an impact on me. Let me take you back a little bit. As as many of you know, I took a year off of being an elder and was on sabbatical for a little over a year. And, and And when I stepped aside, I needed that. I sort of felt like I was running away a little bit and needing some time because of all this stuff. I think layering in on the physical pain without relief that keeps you awake at night on top of all that was just getting to me. So I stepped off and like I said, I I thought I was running away. I wanted to, but God didn't allow me to do that like he does. He pursued me and he helped me to camp out with him a little bit to pray to study scripture, to read, and to review my life. So today is more of a discussion than anything, probably some confession in here. But I want to share with you what God has been doing in my life and then challenge you with some of that as well. My main verse for today is Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I got that from my journal. I journal not very consistently. I wish I did more. But over the past 12 years, I've kept a stack of these. And and as I was preparing for today, I was reading through my journal. And that verse, those two verses came up several times over the last 12 years. It's pretty cool that that happened, and it popped to mind. But I think Psalm 139 is a pretty powerful chapter. It's actually a hymn from David, and uh, it gives us a good snapshot of where he is spiritually as he writes this hymn. Now, the first six verses help him, uh, or he's acknowledging that God knows everything about him. He says, you've known me, and you've searched me. When I sit down and when I rise up, and he continues through that. The second six verses, he talks about um, how it's clear that there's no way that he can run away from God, and God will always know who he is. And he says, whether I go to heaven, you'll be there. Whether I go to Sheol, you'll be there. He weaves in specifics like, you will lead me, and your right hand will be on me. It's pretty cool. He, he then declares that God was at work on him before he was even born. He talks about being created in the womb. He praises him saying, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And then he acknowledges and says that he trusts God and he values God's word. 
And he asks God for his protection as people attack him. And then he gets to those last two verses. Again, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me to the everlasting way. I like the living Bible version of that. If you read that third line, or the second line here, point out, instead of, is there any grievous way in me? Point out anything in me that makes you sad. Man. But it tells you that David is doing well. He's sitting there well. He's praising God for who God is, for God knowing him, not leaving him and always searching for him, for God creating him and who he is and that he's unique. And then he opens himself up and he says, God, search me. That's who I want to be. And that's a verse that I put during that year's sabbatical. I did it from a little bit different perspective, I guess. I was hurting, and I'm wondering, God, what, what's going on? How can all this happen? What's the meaning of it? Is there anything within me that's causing this? These verses are pretty straightforward. I want to point out three things that I think are important, at least to me. That word heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. That word heart, we sort of get it, right? It's who we are, but it's really the core of the person that the, the term that they use for heart there, David uses, is the innermost nature. This encompasses the deepest, innermost thoughts, feelings, and, and actually the entire spectrum of emotions. It's really who we are. And he's asking God to search that. The phrase, try me, implies to an investigation into the object of that. And, uh, so he's, he's saying, test me and try me. It's particularly focused on your integrity, that term. And then any grievous way in me, different versions use different things. NASB uses hurtful. This ESV says grievous, and the Living Bible is a paraphrase, but any sad, anything that makes you sad. The word there actually can be used a couple different ways. It kind of takes a pain that is caused, but it's serious. And actually, in this context, the word a little bit deeper is, is there any image or idol that causes you pain? So even though David's doing well and he's praising God and he's coming and asking God to look in him and to see if there's anything else that he can change. That's pretty cool. You know, looking back now as I look in my journal, side note, if you don't journal, I suggest you do. Man, it's been a real help for me to be able to look back and survey my life and those points in my life that I've valued journaling. But more important than that, it's allowed me to see God being present in my life at that time. Notice I said, looking back, I can see it. I don't claim to have any strategy, tactics, or wisdom on being sure that God's with me and how he's playing that out at the given time. I just know he is. I know that. Scripture tells us that. But I don't see how it's played out and woven in until later. And a lot of us do that. Over last year, I've learned a lot. I'm continuing to learn a lot every day. Today, I'm not going to give you a six-pack or five nuggets or or even the three-point sermon. I'm going to tell you two things that God has uh, taught me over the past year, and really retaught me, convict. First one was love. 
I knew I was struggling with love when I stepped off the elder team. Of course, I can love my family and friends, but, you know, if you feel you've been wronged, whether it's at work or somebody cutting you off in traffic, it's hard to love them, right? I was struggling with love. God used scripture, and he used a couple of books to help me. I stumbled on a book about R.C. Chapman. I think it's funny I use the term stumbled on it. God revealed to me a book about R.C. Chapman. I still to this day don't know how I found it. R.C. Chapman was a teacher, preacher, evangelist in England in the 1800s. He died in 1902 at the age of 99. Charles Spurgeon called him the saintliest man I ever knew. R.C. Chapman is not known by many people. There's some writings now that are growing because of other people's journals that are being published and it's pointing back to him. Hudson Taylor, his organization cherished him. But a lot of people don't know him because one reason they said is because he ripped up his sermon notes every week. He didn't want people to look at him. They wanted, he wanted people to look at God. He was the pastor of his church, but he never claimed to be senior pastor. And his theme was to live Christ. That's pretty cool. You know, if you think of what would Jesus do, he just wanted to live Christ, and he demonstrated it. And what that book did for me was allowed me to see how a man close to our age, right, in the era of history, it's not David, but in the 1800s, can put to practice agape love. One of the things he did, I still don't get, but the book is covered with him. But he came, he was called to a church that needed a pastor. And he negotiated with them and said, I will come if you allow me to preach from Scripture. And the book talked about how that wasn't, common in that, that day, and I guess in that town at least, and, and we see that today sometimes in churches. But they agreed, and he, he went and was the pastor of this church, and he started making changes, and the, the congregation started growing. He started making an impact in the community, and, uh, and the greater majority of people went with, went with him, followed his leadership in what he was doing, except a handful of people, literally a handful, um, that predated him. And they left the church. And within the year, they came back and demanded that he give the building to them because they were with the denomination. And they said, you're changing things. You, we deserve it. Chapman did his due diligence legally uh, within the church, within the legal system. The people that stayed were the legal owners of the church. There was no obligation to give anything. But he said the Christ-like thing was to give the building, the property, to that group. And, and the people followed him, his leadership. They went and found a new location. God blessed them, and they did it. And God continued to grow. And actually, it said it served that body well because they got to throw away any disclaimer, tags, n- narrative of who, what church they were, and they just said, we're a fellowship of Christians. Pretty cool. So that, that is agape love, right? That has to come from God. So the verses that uh, God used to convict me and to encourage me and to uh, help me with love, the first one tells us why. 
I'll let you read them. You don't need me to read them. But um, we do it because he first loved us, right? He, what he did through his love. And the second is so that people will know that we're his disciples if we love. Second verse is to what extent do we love? Are we willing to give up our life for someone? Third verse is uh, when do we love? Do all things in love. Fourth one I will read. And it was read before, but it's worth focusing on. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Man, if that doesn't do it for you, love's important. It's above faith. And the last verse I put in there, because I, even though it doesn't specifically state love, I think that positions us in a proper position to demonstrate love through our actions. And I will read that one as well. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only at his own interest, but also the interest of others. Interesting thing with the term love in all those verses that I read that we put up there is um, that is the term, the, the agape version of love that's written, agape, agapeo, whether it's noun or verb, and, and, and which is a unconditional love, benevolent. It comes from God, really. It's God's love towards us. And it, it's a love from the giver. It's not from what the receiver needs. You know, God so loved the world... He didn't give what, what man thought he needed. He gave what he knew man needed. And that's what he wants us to do to them, is independent of what's going on, is to love on them. Interesting thing is I read through that, and I try not to use it as an excuse when I'm interacting with people, but there is emotion attached to that word, love, agape love, but it's not the huggy-feely, hey, brother, I love you, you know, that. It's, it's the action love. Right? So if I say, Ed, don't hug me, that's okay. I, I think sometimes it's out of obedience that we show our love and God will fill in the rest. The other thing that God taught me while I was on sabbatical is uh, sort of help me understand a new perspective in my walk. You know, I always talk, when I meet with people, I say, how is your walk? And, and it's interesting, some people go, what do you mean? And that's okay. But, but you know, it's, it's our walk with Christ. How is that? And I use the first verse there, um, the first part of the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. I think that term disciples is key. And we, as a church, Christians, people, don't do it justice. Um, it's, it, being a disciple is what our walk is. Or it should be. Be a disciple. Let me tell you what it's not. It's not somebody who has accepted Christ and goes on their way. It's not somebody who has prayed a prayer with me and then we depart and nothing is ever done. It's not even somebody who's a learner. 
of Jesus. That term disciple is deep in meaning, and it, 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 um, it implies that the learner is not only learning from the teacher, but that learner has attached themselves to that teacher and is following that teacher in doctrine and in the way, the standard of life. You think of disciples in the Bible. It's what they did. They left, and they, fought, they attached themselves, and they followed Jesus. And that's what God wants us to do in our walk. Two examples of disciples that I'll give to you today that were in my life. Dr. Harry McGee was our pastor in Savannah. I jokingly um, said he was on the ark with Noah. The guy was old. He was a retired medical doctor turned pastor, and he was our pastor. I was in the army, and I'll spare you the reason why I was compelled to ask him, but I asked him to disciple me. And Harry, again, I was in the army. I had some weird hours going on. Harry was faithful at 300 years of age to meet me every Tuesday at 5 a.m. And he didn't disciple me. He taught me how to be a disciple. Two different things. Taught me how to study Scripture, how to memorize Scripture, challenge my life and apply it to my life. Taught me about prayer. And he taught me the discipline of spending time with God every day. Second one is Kerry Bowman. A lot of you or some of you know, knew him. I met him in 2015. He was just medically retired from the Air Force. 27 years old, stage 4 cancer. Two sons, beautiful wife. And I met him at that great farm when we had that men's night. And somebody asked me to go introduce myself because I was in the military as well. And I walked up to Kerry and said, hey, I'm Charlie. He said, Kerry. I said, hey, I understand you're in the military. He said, well, I just got medically retired from the Air Force. And I backed away and I said, I'm sorry. I, I thought you were in the military. And uh, so we became good buds and he started making army jokes about us being stupid. And, and I, of course, was talking about the country club life of, of the Air Force. Um, but he was a baby Christian. He had just come to Christ, and they moved up here from the Fayetteville area to be closer to doctors. And uh, I said, hey, you want to grab coffee one day next week? And, and he said, yeah. He said, i got a ton of questions I, I want to ask you. I said, okay. So we met at Starbucks, and Carrie Bowman came in with a, a legal pad, one of those long ones, not the short ones, the long ones, yellow. No lie, six pages, handwritten questions, line by line. And he comes, and he was still struggling a little bit physically, but he was energetic. He said, man, I got so many questions. He started just one after another rattling them off. And after about the fifth one, I said, hold on, Slick. Let's slow down a little bit. And I got to spend at least a day a week for the next year with him. He's with Christ, with God now. And, but he's a disciple he was after God's heart and he was pursuing him at such an exciting level. It's really convicting to me when I get down about my walk. So the verses for uh, walk, I, 
I'll let you read them again, but they're, they talk about how we walk. We walk by faith. We walk by the Spirit. And we have to be firmly rooted. And what God showed me about my walk is pretty simple. Note, simple, not easy. Two different things. The simplicity is, he taught me, sometimes the follower doesn't know where he's going. He just knows who he's going with. And I think that's where we are. I don't know what he has planned for us. You know, professionally, personally, our family, this church. We know as we follow him, and we try to do right, he's going to lead us. And I got stacks of journals to prove that he was with me through this time. I know he's with me today, and he's with us. So it brings us back to that verse. I want to be this guy. God, search me. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Help me understand if there's anything in me that makes you sad. I like that. And lead me in the way everlasting. That means lead me in, uh, in God's ways, the ways that he has for us. That's who I want to be. So what do I bring to you? I have three questions that uh, I want to challenge you with and hopefully encourage you with too. Do you know Christ? Guys, I don't mean do you know who he is. I don't mean do you know all the Bible stories. Do you know what God's done? I mean, do you have a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, an active relationship with him? Even if you've said the prayer, even if you claim Christ, do you have an active relationship with him? Second one, to what extent are you a disciple of Jesus? Think about that term, disciple. Have you attached yourself to Jesus? Are you following him daily, learning something from him daily? Do you know his doctrine? Are you trying to live the way he has demonstrated for us? And the third question, do you want to become a better disciple? And if you do, do you need help? And that's what we're all about. Now, the, the uh, leadership of, the, of, of our body shared in November the, the new mission statement, which is pretty cool. Passionately guiding generations through gospel transformation one home at a time. We'd love to see that. I like to filter it down, synthesize it down to the lowest common denominator. I think the only way we can do that is not through events. We'll have events. It's not through big public engagements. Well, we might have some of those. Quite frankly, it's not through coming to church on Sunday morning and having a great speaker. Not me. Nobody's paying attention today anyway, right? It's not about necessarily Sunday. But that's part of it. How we're going to have gospel transformation in this area and in the world is by first being disciples. Us actively walking, learning daily so that we put ourselves in position for God to use us, make us sensitive to his will and his work that is going on around us, and also the sensitivity of loving people enough where we can reach out to them and then we can make disciples. So I plead with you, use that verse and ask God to search your heart. Thanks for listening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we praise your name. You are the maker of the heavens and earth. You've done wondrous things, and you allow us to be part of that. Father, thank you for allowing us to come before you today, for allowing us to talk to you directly.
for listening to us and for providing for us in the love that you have for us and not what we think we need. Father, I pray that you will be over all of us today. Help us, open us up, and help us to see that we need you more. Help us to walk closer to you day by day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.